15. Luke chapter 15. And as we're opening up, let's just pray this morning over God's word. Jesus, God, thank you for your word. You didn't have to give us such a big book, but God, I'm thankful that you did. God, it's got answers to all of our life's questions, to, to the deepest meaningful questions, even surface level. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, that we've got this instruction manual, and I pray that you would just open our hearts to it today. May our lives be changed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 15, uh, you can open up to that, and we've been looking this whole month at this series called Refocus. We've been looking at Jesus's parables and these stories that he would tell that he would use to help us to reshape, to refocus our emotions, to help us refocus our beliefs and take them off the stuff that we, we get caught in the weeds on and put them on what matters most. And that's what Jesus would do with these, with these stories. And Jesus uses these parables. One, things he do, one thing he does is he helps define uh, what a win is. That's what we're going to look at in Luke 15, what a win is. Because in a lot of things, we know what a win is. We know how to win in sports. We know how to score in a game. We know how to do all these things. But in, in our lives, in living a life for Jesus, how do we win, right? And that's the question we're going to be looking at today. Because, again, in sports, we know how to score. Like in baseball, you got to cross home plate. That's how you score. In basketball, you got to put the ball through the hoop. That's how you score. Uh, in football, you got to get into the end zone. You got to kick the ball through the uprights. We know how to do that. In hockey, you got to put the net or put the puck in the net. In soccer, you got to put the ball in the net. Right? All these different things. We know how to score. And if you score more points than the other team, then you win. Yeah, plain and simple. That's nice. But there are some sports that I just don't understand. Uh, one of those. Maybe you've seen it while flipping through, through your channels. And it's this lovely sport called cricket. I don't get it. Like, it looks like baseball. They wear hockey pads, and there's bowling pins. It's just like, what game are you guys playing? Like, pick a sport. And so I've sat there, and I've tried to figure out this sport. I'm trying to figure out, all right, how do you score? Do you knock over a pin? Do you hit a home run? Apparently, foul balls are a good thing. And, and I just don't get it. And so one day, I, I had a friend, and he grew up in India, and I was... So I was asking him, like, tell me about this cricket game, because I'm not following. And so he starts explaining these rules about how you've got the bowler, that's the pitcher, and, and he's trying to knock over pins or something. And he's giving me all these things, and, and he's like, and now the batter, he can bat, like, as many times as he feels like. He's like, what, what rules? Who, who did this? And I was like, okay, so how long does the game take? I mean, NFL, we're talking three hours, baseball, three hours, basketball, two hours. What, what's a good game time for this cricket? He's like, oh, a real good game lasts three to five days. <laughs> what? Do these people not have lives to play this game? Like, how do you? So I was just confused. I don't even know how to win this game. Clearly, you score more points, but I don't know how to score points, so I'm lost. And sometimes I think we can feel that way in our walks with Christ of just like, how do I win? You know, what, what is winning? Is reading my Bible a win? Is showing up to church a win? Is doing nice things a win? Like, how do, how do I score? Like, am I, am I rated based on my church attendance? Am I rated based on how many times I tell people about Jesus? Am I rated about just like, I'm being a good person? Like, how do I score? How do I win? So maybe you felt that way in, in your, your walk with Christ. You know, maybe you've said to yourself, like, I, I just feel like I'm not growing. And how do I start growing if I don't know how to, how to win at life, how to win with this walk with Jesus? Maybe you've said to yourself, I just feel like I've hit a wall. 
You know, I used to love Jesus. I used to really be on fire, and, and I still love Jesus today, but now it just feels like I've hit a wall, and I'm not as passionate as I used to be. Like, how, how do I win? How do I get this thing back? How do I score some runs in my walk with Jesus? So again, Luke 15, I think, is going to shed some light on it. So in verse 1, we get to see the, the audience, and it, it says this, Luke 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We'll pause there for a second. So here's the audience. Before he ever gets to the parable, I, I like looking at the audience. It gives us a little bit more of who the story is to and what point Jesus is trying to get across. So you've got Jesus. He's at the center of the crowd. And last week we talked about, you know, Jesus, he's like this rock star. I mean, there's thousands of people following him. And Jesus, he's at the center of the crowd. And, and all around him, it says, are the tax collectors and sinners. So first you got the tax collectors, right? And the tax collectors, they didn't have a good reputation in town. I mean, it was an honest perfection or profession, but it didn't really have honest people working the job. So people didn't like these tax collectors. I mean, number one, no one likes paying money to the government. Can I get an amen on that one, right? No one likes paying money to the government. Uh, number two, these were Jews who were working for the Romans. And it's like, you traitors. You, know, you, you, you value money over our Jewish heritage. So they didn't like them. They viewed them as, as traitors. Uh, number three, they were inclined not to just take taxes for the Romans, but to take a little extra cheddar for themselves, right? And they, they took a little off the top, and, and so nobody liked them for that. And because they took all that off, uh, and because they, they, they were quite wealthy. And when you're poor and you see somebody wealthy, you, you don't view them very highly. So all these different things, it had a bad taste in their mouth. So when you said the word tax collector, it was a bad word. Just like today, you get that bad taste in your mouth when you get a letter from the IRS saying you're being audited, right? That's the, that's the way, or you got to call the IRS and you wait on hold for two hours. Like, that's, that's the bad feeling and emotion that they had when you hear the word tax collector. So it wasn't just the tax collectors surrounding Jesus. It was also the sinners, the sinners. And I love how back in that day, in that, that culture, they... They weren't just referring to them as like, oh, there were sinful people around them. Like literally, we see in here, they called them sinners to their face. The Pharisees were like, oh yeah, look at the sinners over there. Now today, we're far too sophisticated to call people sinners, right? We just think it. That's, that's how we do it. We just like, I'm not going to call you a sinner, but you are one, you know. And you're thinking about that. But back in that day, they just called it as they saw it. You're a sinner. And what a sinner meant to uh, a Pharisee or a teacher of the law, a sinner was somebody who didn't follow the laws of the Old Testament. They, they didn't follow that whole process, and not only those laws, but they didn't follow the laws that the Pharisees liked to add on to it and add on to it, and those traditions and, and doing all those things. So they were sinful people because they weren't trying to follow the law. They were just going outside of the law. They were sinners. So again, you got Jesus, you've got the sinners and tax collectors, and it doesn't really say where they are, but I imagine they were kind of in the back with their arms crossed. You had the Pharisees and the tax collectors. And uh, both of these groups were experts in the law. The Pharisees, again, not only in the law, but in their own personal laws and the traditions that they put on top of those. And so seeing Jesus allow all these unclean people draw near to him, 
They were outraged. You know, they, they were upset. Like, Jesus, why would you do this? Because you see in there, Jesus is called teacher. He's called rabbi. Just like these teachers of law and the Pharisees, they would have been called teacher and rabbi. So he's like, you're, you're trying to say that you're one of us. You're, you're a teacher and a rabbi, but now you're giving us a bad name because you're hanging around all these sinners. They don't, they're not following the right ways. They're not doing the right things. You should stay away from them. That's, that's unclean, Jesus. And they didn't like it. They didn't like it. So they said, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. How can he do that? And they're just looking down. They're just judging Jesus and judging everybody else at that time. And, and so Jesus, hearing their words and, and knowing their hearts, he begins to tell a series of three parables, a series of three stories to help refocus the Pharisees' perspective of these sinners and tax collectors that, that he eats with. So let's look at that. In verse 3, he tells the first parable. I'm going to look at the first two parables. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. In verse 3, it says this, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And he continues on. He tells a second story. In verse 8, he says, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus, he tells these stories. And again, he uses familiar things. He, he talks about a shepherd. He talks about losing a coin. And, and he tells them these are wins. These are wins that all of you agree with. Everybody in this audience agrees. You guys know shepherds. Some of you probably are shepherds. Some of you sinners out there, you are shepherds. And, and I want you to picture this story, right? And Jesus is telling this. There's a shepherd. He's got 100 sheep, and one of them wanders off, right? That shepherd is going to do everything that he can to go find that one lost sheep. He's going to leave the 99 well-behaved, good-following sheep to go find that one because a sheep to a shepherd that's his reputation. Like, that's his job. If he lets a, sh uh, a sheep wander off, what kind of a shepherd is he? Nobody's going to hire him again. Nobody's going to trust him with their flock. That's his livelihood. That's his source of income. Like, that's, that's his everything. So when he finds that sheep, when he, he, he gives everything to that sheep, and when he finds it, he rejoices. He throws a big party. He tells everybody, like, hey, come on over. Celebrate with, with me because I found my lost sheep. It was a good thing. It's his personal responsibility. The second story he tells, again, something they could relate to. Like you guys all value money out there, right? All the sinners and tax collectors, even the Pharisees, you guys value money. And you know, this, this lady, she's got 10 coins. It's her life savings. It's everything she's got, and she loses one of them. She loses one of them. So she, 
drops everything. She, she invests some, some oil into lighting a lamp, and she rearranges the whole house. She searches everything. She sweeps everything, and she invests in it so she can find that one coin. And when she does, she celebrates. You see, she thought it was worth the investment to pay a little extra in oil that night. She thought it was worth the time to go searching for this coin because she realizes this is valuable. This is a win. This is a win. And then Jesus, like he typically does, so again, he, he gets a point that everybody agrees with. Finding a lost sheep, win. Finding a lost coin, win. And then he, he flips it and helps us refocus the truth. He, and he says, just like finding a lost sheep, just like finding a lost coin, is like finding a sinner who repents. Finding a sinner who repents. Like that's, that's the win, that's the win. One sinner who repents. And, and they're not just going to throw a, a party with the neighbors. There's going to be a party in heaven over one sinner who repents. And church, this morning, let me tell you, that is our win. That is our win as we follow Jesus is one sinner who repents. And he used that word, sinner. He's talking about the people right up front. He's talking about the people who are surrounding him. One sinner who repents. That's why we do what we do. Church, as followers of Jesus, that is our win. That is our home run. That is our buzzer beater shot. That is our touchdown is Seeing lost souls come to Jesus and experience freedom, it's seeing one sinner who repents. That's why we do things like the school outreach. That's why we throw Christmas parties. That's why we do the care and share giveaway. That's why we host mega sports camp so that one sinner can repent. That's why we go all out for missions. That's why we go all out for things like Easter. That's why we send kids to camps and conferences because one sinner who repents is what we're all about. That's why we say love God, love people, and share Christ. Church, that's what we're about. That's our win. One sinner who repents. We invest in all those things because we think it's worth it. It's worth it. Now, I'm not telling you anything you don't know already, right? That's not like some revelation to you today. Right, that's what we're about. But Jesus wasn't finished yet. Jesus had one more parable, right? He's led them this far, but he was about to take it another step further. See, because this is a win that we all agree with. Lost souls saved. Sinners who repent. Even just one. We agree that's, that's a win. That's, that's a good thing. But Jesus is about to take that and make it real. Because we like sinners going from point A to salvation, point B. But we don't necessarily like the mess that it takes to get from point A to point B. And he, Jesus is about to make this real. Because from point A to point B can really affect our lives. And we like it if it doesn't affect our lives. But, but Jesus, again, he's about to make it real. In verse 11, he says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who set, uh, sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. I'll pause for a moment there, because I want you to understand just how big of a wreck this kid is, right? This, this, this kid's messed up. He, he's selfish. He's, he's arrogant. He, he's wild. I mean, he, he literally had the nerve to go up to his father and tell him, the only thing you're worth to me is, is my inheritance. I don't care about my relationship with you. I just wish you were dead, basically. So give me half that inheritance now. It's rightfully mine, and I want an advance payment of it. The father, uh, I don't, I'm sure it was reluctantly, gave, gave the son what he asked for, and, and eventually the son ran off with it, right? And he rejects his family. He, re, he rejects his father. All he wants from him is, is his money, and he goes off and says he squanders it with, with, with wild living. And who knows? You know all the vile things that he did. But eventually, the money that his father, you know, worked his whole life for, he got rid of it in just a matter of time, and a, and a famine hits, and so he goes off, and, and now he's working with the pigs and, and trying to feed them, but doesn't even have enough to, to feed himself. So finally, he hits rock bottom and says, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. And he has the nerve to think, my family's going to accept me, uh, even though... I did this to even though I abandoned them, even though I, I shamed them, right? So I want you to understand how big of a wreck that this kid is. And then in verse 20, while he's on his way back, it says this, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Think about that. While this son, this arrogant son, still smelling like the pig pen, still in clothes that were tattered, before he ever said, I'm sorry, before he ever repented and, and told his father how, how upset he was, it says that the father came out and embraced him, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. How amazing is that? That the father would do that before the son even said he was sorry. But he didn't stop there. Verse 21 says, The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Church, this is big. This is big. And I want you to get this today. I want you to get this. Because if we believe, if we truly believe that our mission is to love God, love people, and share Christ, and if we want to reach our community, then just like the Father, we need to be willing to embrace the mess. We need to be willing to embrace the mess. You see, sinners getting saved sounds great. It, it sounds great until you realize the people who are going to come through these doors. Right? If we want to see sinners saved, that means sinners are going to come through these doors. People who aren't cleaned up yet, 
People are still smelling like the pig pen, right? People, uh, you know, who aren't sober. People uh, who are still smelling like smoke. Uh, Cheaters, liars, abusers, adulterers. People who have personally hurt you and your family are going to walk through those doors. And we've got two options in that moment. Are we going to sit back and we're going to judge them like the Pharisees did? Or like the Father, are we going to choose to embrace the mess? Are we going to choose to wrap our arms around and say, you know, I don't agree with where you are, but I love you. I love you right where you are. And I believe that Jesus has got something more for you and Jesus is going to transform you. Are we willing to embrace the mess? See, there's a lot of mess in our city. There's a lot of mess in every city. I was looking at some statistics. Uh, Less than half of the households in Aberdeen are traditional families. A mom, a dad, and kids, right? But there's a lot of broken homes in our community. And we're called to reach everybody. Not just the people who act like they have it all together. We're called to reach everybody, church. And so if we're truly passionate about loving God, loving people, and sharing Christ, things are going to get messy, Jesus embraced the mess every day. He, he sat with sinners and tax collectors. And the Pharisees didn't like it. They didn't have it, right? Our, our poverty rate in Aberdeen is, it says 12.6%. That means one out of every 10 people we come across is living in poverty. What can we do to embrace the mess? See, because when we, we embrace the mess, we, we allow God the space to transform lives. We allow God the space to transform lives. Now, I'm talk- not talking about accepting sin. That's not what I'm talking about today. But I'm talking about accepting people who are wrapped up in the mess of sin. There, there's a difference there. Because we believe Jesus is going to transform them. And, and when they come in here, they're going to look a lot different when they leave. Because God is going to transform their lives. So again, when we embrace the mess, we allow God the, the space to transform lives. And that's our win. That's our win, church. But we will never see that. We will never win if we're not willing to embrace the mess like the Father did. To embrace the mess like Jesus did. But I want you to think today, too, about what can happen when we embrace the mess? What can happen when we wrap our arms around people, even in the junk that they're going through? Now look at Matthew. He was a tax collector. But Jesus called him. And he followed Jesus and got to tell the world. Got to tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. And he died as an apostle. Uh, look at Saul. Right? Saul was a murderer. He was a Pharisee, but he approved the deaths of Christians. And, and this, was, this was a bad dude, right? That was Saul. But Jesus came in and he transformed his life. And then you have uh, Ananias come up to him. And you can look it up. It's, it's in the book of Acts. And Ananias comes in and everybody else is scared of Saul. Everybody else is just like, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to touch it. He's a bad guy. Like, that's a messy situation. I'm not going to get close to that. But Ananias comes up, and he welcomes him into his home, and he starts vouching for him. He's like, have you guys met Saul? He's now Paul. He's changed. God's done a great work in his life. And we know the rest of the story. Paul goes on to be like the greatest missionary the world has ever known. And he's writing books of the Bible. But that doesn't happen if Ananias doesn't come alongside him and say, I'm vouching for this guy. Like, we need to be willing to embrace the mess because there's an amazing thing that can happen when lost souls get saved. There's limitless potential.
Now, Jesus said to a sinful woman, she said, those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been forgiven much, they love much. And I believe that as we see people in our community who've got a long past and they're forgiven of much, that God's going to use them to love this world even more. God's going to use them to bring even more people into the kingdom of heaven. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be an amazing thing. But again, it doesn't happen until we're willing to embrace the mess. Because church today, the win is not simply maintaining. Right? We can go around thinking the win is maintaining. Oh, good. Everybody showed up today. Like, no, that's, that's not the win. See, if, if our goal is just to maintain as a church, we will die. Because eventually we will all get old and we will all die and there will be nobody left to leave the church to. Right? It will just be, be empty. See, our goal is not maintaining. Our goal is not perfect behavior. That is, that is not our goal. Our goal, our win, is transformation from sinners to saints. Our, our goal, our win, is transformation and becoming more like Jesus every day. That's what we're called to be. That's our win. That's our touchdown. That's, that's, that's our buzzer beater. That's our grand slam. That's our win. Jesus still wasn't done yet. There, there was, he talked about the younger brother, but there was another brother in the story, the older brother. Verse 25. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. See, again, he's, he's addressing the Pharisees, the, the older brothers, right? The lost coin and the lost sheep, you can get behind that. And in the Pharisees' mind, it's probably like, well, the, the sheep, sheep doesn't know any better, right? The older brother, the sheep doesn't know any better. The sheep just wanders off, he, it's an animal. So the shepherd has to rescue him. The coin, that was the woman's fault, you know, or maybe there's a hole in the bag or something. Like, that's, that's her fault. You know, so of course we go and we celebrate when we find it. But that, that prodigal son, that was his own fault. He knew better. He shouldn't have wandered off. Right, I can just picture the Pharisees are sitting there and they're thinking that. He, he shouldn't have wandered off. He shouldn't have done that. He, he knew better. He doesn't deserve it. And we can find ourselves pointing finger. We can look at other people in our community and just be like, they don't deserve it. They don't, they don't deserve me telling them the gospel. They don't, they don't deserve Jesus' forgiveness. Jesus, don't you know what they've done? They don't deserve a second chance. I think in those moments, God tells us, that's true. They don't deserve a second chance. But neither did you. Neither did you. And it's, it's calling these own things out in our lives that we've got to remember what God has delivered us from. So today, will we choose to embrace the mess or will you choose to be like the Pharisees and the older brother and say, no, they don't deserve it? 
Church, we, we've got a community. We, we've got people across this world who need to know the good news. But they'll never accept the news if we can't love them, if we can't love people. That's what we're talking about today, loving people. That's what embracing the message is. It's loving people where they're at. It's loving people where they're at. Because it's such a big win when we see God transform their lives. Now, I've seen, in my time, I've seen a lot of wins. I've seen, I've seen a lot of wins. I've seen a lot of scores. Again, I'm a sports fan, so I watch, I like watching sports. I like watching, you know, all of them except cricket. And, uh, but I like watching sports, and it's fun. And I've seen a lot of wins. I've been to playoff games. I've seen the intensity of the crowd. And I'm just, you know, picturing the celebration in heaven of when there's, there's a big win. And let me, let me just share with you for a moment of one of the biggest wins I've ever seen before in my life. And just to, let me tell you about the celebration that happened. You see, uh, in, in 2017, it was a few years ago, uh, I'm a Vikings fan, and, and 2017 was, was, there was a lot of hope that year. All right, bear with me for a second. There, there was a lot of hope that year. We had a brand new quarterback for our team. And it was going to be good. And the first game, he gets out there. And, I mean, he's throwing darts. And we go out and we beat a, a Saints team that was supposed to be good. And it was great. We were, so I remember we were over at Monday Night Fellowship in the youth room. And, and I was just like, this is the year. This is the year. And we got through week one. And later on that week, we hear, your quarterback's injured and probably for the rest of the year. It's just like, what? He was doing that. He didn't even get hurt. He didn't even get hit. And so we, we throw in backup guy. And backup guy, week two, just does terrible. I mean, it's just awful. We get blown out, and it's like, the season's over. I mean, that's a normal thing as a Vikings fan to say. And it's just like, the season's over with. But then week three comes, and week four comes, and all of a sudden, this backup guy, he's getting pretty lucky. You know, he's, he's doing all right, and we've got this defense. It's just everybody's like, wow, you got the best defense ever. You know, they're intercepting things. They're stopping me. Nobody can score. And it's awesome. All of a sudden, like, we win one game. We win two games. We win. And all that, at the end of it, we, we got the best record in our division. We got the second best record in, in the league, 13-3. and three. We've got to buy the first. I mean, this is great. This is awesome. And now all those hopes that I had, you know, given up earlier, they're, they're back, right? Those feelings, they're right on the edge. Just because I know the Vikings, they're going to let me down again, but I get my hopes up every year. And so we get to our first game in the playoffs, and it's against this Saints team that we've already beat, but, you know, they're good, but we're, we're, we're going to win, and, and the best part of it all was that the Super Bowl was going to be in Minnesota that year, right, this brand new stadium, and it's just going to be like, we're going to play a home game in the Super Bowl. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great, and uh, we just got to win a couple games first. Then we're that's what we're really waiting for. We're, we're favored to win. So we go into the game. We're playing the Saints. We're playing at home. And uh, we, we go down. We score a touchdown right away. Things are looking good. It turns into a tight game this whole time. And eventually we get to the end. And, and uh, you know, we're down a couple points. But with a minute 50 left, we, we kick a field goal to go ahead. And it's just like, we're going to win. We're going to win. I'm telling Angie, she's over in the kitchen and not understanding at all what I'm yelling or crying about at the moment. And uh, I'm like, Angie, we're going to win. We're going to go to the Super Bowl. This is going to be great. And she's like, yeah, I'll believe it when the game's over with. That's what she told me. And uh, the problem was there was a Hall of Fame quarterback on the other team. And he went down and had their team kick a field goal with 30 seconds left. And now all of a sudden I'm depressed. I was really high. And now I'm just like, 
Angie, we're not going to win. You were right. You're going to lose. We have no chance. We got, we got 30 seconds to go all the way across the field, and it's not going to happen, and a bunch of things happen. All of a sudden, we've got 10 seconds left and 61 yards to go, and we got to score. And it's just like there's no hope. We've got no chance. And then this happens. Keenum's going to try to work the ball on the boundary. Steps into it, pass is caught, Diggs, sideline, touchdown, unbelievable, Vikings win it. Now some of you, you can still feel the emotion of that moment. But I, I want you to understand, like this was, they, they called it the Minneapolis miracle. Why God would waste a miracle on the Vikings, I don't know. But, but in this moment, it was just like the greatest celebration I've ever seen. You know, some of you were, you were in the stands in that moment, and like people were jumping up and down, the, the whole stadium was shaking. People were hugging the people next to them, not because they knew them, but because they were wearing purple, like, hey, we're on the same team. I love you. You know, it's all, I remember on our block, there's literally like people, houses just screaming because they were so excited they thought the Vikings finally didn't let me down, you know, and all this stuff. And it was just, it was an incredible moment. But I want you to understand there's 80,000 people in the stands that day screaming and yelling. And that pales in comparison to the celebration that happens in heaven with the angels when one sinner repents. I, I want you to understand how big of a win it is when one sinner repents. That's what it's all about. That's, that's our win. That's our, that's our touchdown. That's, that's our grand slam. That's our walk-off home run. That's our buzzer beater shot. Right? That's, that's what it's all about. That's what we're here. That's our win. And that's why it's so critical, church, that we embrace the mess so we can see those wins happen. That's what we're all about. That's, that's our identity. That's who we are. And, and, and let's, let's stop viewing this walk with Jesus as something we're just trying to maintain, that we're just trying to go through the motions. We're just trying to, like, it, it's not a win if we just don't mess up. That's not the win. Our, our win is we're, we're trying to advance the kingdom of God. We're, we're trying to, to tell people the good news because there are people out there who are dying. They're lost and they're going to hell and they don't know any better, but we've got the answer. So let's love them where they are and let's show them Jesus. Let's show them Jesus. Let's not be like those Pharisees who say, no, the spiritual thing, we've got the market on it. And if you're not like us, then you don't belong. We can't do that. We're not going to win that way. We might win once or twice. I don't want to win just once or twice. I want to win every day. I want to see new people come and welcomed in, in, into God's kingdom every day. Like, I want to keep heaven rocking. I, I want that praise to never stop going because more and more people are, are entering into his presence. More and more sinners are repenting. Like, I want heaven to be shaking every single day because the angels are just worshiping and they're, they're rejoicing in the fact that there were, there were millions and millions of people who were lost, but now they're found because we were willing to embrace the mess. To love on the person who's just caught in their sin, who's, who's stuck in the pig pen of life, who hasn't, who hasn't cleaned up yet, who doesn't have their act together. 
And it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's going to be people. Again, they may have wronged us. They may have hurt our family. But that doesn't mean they don't deserve the gospel. We need to be ready to love people. Today, maybe you're sitting in your seat, you're watching online. You feel like that kid who's sitting in the pig pen. You just feel like there's no hope. You feel like you've messed up too much and there's no turning back and, and, and you can't do it anymore. I'm here to tell you today, the Father's arms are open wide. I don't care what you've done. He's ready to embrace you. He's, he's ready to welcome you home. Today, you're not too far gone. And I want to give you an opportunity just to run into the arms of the Father today. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? If there's anyone here today and you say, that's me, I feel like the prodigal son, I feel like the lost son, I feel like that lost sheep or that lost coin who's just not found, you need a savior today, you, you need a father to love you today, and, and you're ready to say, God, I'm ready to run home to you, would you just raise your hand? Catch my eye, I want to pray with you today. Thank you else. You're online, you can just put it in the comments. Anybody else who says, I need a Savior, I need to run to the Father today. Thank you, Jesus. Well, if you raised your hand, would you, would you just pray this prayer with me? And everybody, would you just pray this prayer with me? And it, again, it's not magic words, but it's just pray it from the heart. Pray it from the heart, and, and, and God will move. God will change you. So would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you rose again. I've got sin in my life. I'm not cleaned up. God, would you forgive me? Would you be the Lord of my life? I want to run to the arms of the Father. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you know what? Heaven's rejoicing right now. Heaven is rejoicing right now. Would you stand and just give God some glory right now? Just give Him a clap, Bob, and just pray that Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you, God. We join with the angels right now. God, you are amazing. God, you are holy. these altars. Let's go after Jesus. If God's working on your heart and you're just like, man, I, I need to embrace the mess. I need to love people. Would you come? Let's just find a place at these altars. If, if you're giving your life to Jesus, come to this altar. Let's find freedom. Let's find hope. Let's, let's find that love and compassion in these altars as we go after God. So as we sing this next song, would you just come down and find a place at these altars?
such an awesome God such a wonderful Father just can't help but be reminded of the mess that God saved me out of maybe you're sitting there today remembering that too we've all messed things up but God's, God saved us, God's changed us so God give us the grace to extend that to other people what an awesome God May we be reflections of our Savior. May we be reflections of Him so that people would see Jesus in us wherever we go. we got such an awesome God. Jesus, God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts today. Thank you that you embraced this mess, made us new, transformed us. God, thank you for the soul that was saved today. Thank you, Jesus. God, help us to win every day. Wake us up in our relationships with you. Help us realize, God, it's not about us. There's something bigger. We're we're part of a bigger kingdom. And you've got plans and you've got a purpose for each one of us in this building here today. And it's not to sit idle. But God, it's, it's to go forth. Go into all the world. And we're not done yet. So Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for embracing this mess. God, may, may we embrace the people around us, the people in this community, our, our neighbors, our, our co-workers, our, our family who don't know you. God, may we love them where they're at. And God, may you bring them from point A to point B. God, may you bring the transformation. Because only you can do that. But use us as vessels. Use us as we leave this place to, to share your good news everywhere we go. God, we love you. Thank you for the work you've done, for the work you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. These altars are open. Uh, Take as much time as you need today. But, But go out and love people this week.